greet you again in the name of Jesus. Wonderful opportunity tonight to meet in this way. I can hardly believe that we're at this uh, stage of the meetings. Usually when you start in, it looks like a long track ahead. And uh, towards the end, you start wondering, will I get everything said that I think I should or that I would like to? I always fall short of that. So we are thankful that we are we have this opportunity to meet this way. And you as a congregation have been a huge blessing. I've been encouraged. Hosting couple has just been exceptional. Uh, I didn't dare step on the scale. I'll wait till I'm at home and then try to explain my, with myself away. But it's been amazing to be amongst you. And uh, you find uh, a real treasure in my heart. Uh, you as a congregation, uh, yeah, I won't forget you right away. You've been inspiring, encouraging, and a blessing. But, I don't mean to insult you, but I've got something better in mind. Tomorrow morning at about 6 o'clock, I'm hoping to head that direction and head home to meet my wife again and spend time with her and be blessed. So I covet your prayers as we travel tomorrow. And, and then, in weeks ahead, I do seek your prayers not only for me, for my wife, my family, and for each other. Do may, uh, be diligent in praying for each other. <clears throat> the enemy of our soul does not like at all what has been shared and the impact and the effect that it might have on any heart here tonight. And so he's going to do everything in his power to try to still that, to stay it, and to discourage me as a messenger. And so I do pray that you would uh, pray for us. And if you think about it, in uh, two weeks I'm to uh, present three messages on uh, moral purity. And uh, it looks big. And so I pray that God could use that for his glory. And... Uh, so I covered your prayers in that. I want to encourage us all with the words that the psalmist said. In Psalm 127, he says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman walketh but in vain. So we have to understand that it's kind of a, a, a doom and gloom observation if we are endeavoring to build in the absence of the Lord. If we're endeavoring to be watchmen in the absence of the Lord. So all that is vain. But I would like for you to go with a text verse tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there it gives us a contrasting uh uh, it, a verse there where it says contrasting and yet the same it says in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 it says therefore my beloved brethren it says be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord 
For as much as ye know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. So in the psalmist it said, what is vain? Here it says, what is not vain? And it says, if we uh, are steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, that labor is not in vain. And and I just would like to note something in that verse. It says, therefore. So the first part of the message, we will look at what it says after therefore. And then in the closing of of the message, we want to look at what it meant when he said, therefore. So it says, be steadfast. Steadfast. The picture I get, or the, what the picture uh, Strong's Concordance would uh, would give us, is to be steadfast means just to sit. You know, when once you're uh, in the evening and you're tired and you just kind of sit back and you're there, and it would take next thing to a tornado to move you. It is just plop, you're there. And the four uh, legs of the sofa or the four legs of the chair hold you there and you sit in there with confidence and that's where you are. Stationary. And it says unmovable. And so those are the two uh, uh, primary words that my thoughts are geared towards in the first part. And then it goes on to say always abounding. And that word abounding means Superabounding in uh, quality and in quantity to be in excess. So that's what it means. So it, it's kind of contrasting, and yet it's a very interesting verse. And so it says there to be steadfast and yet also be superabounding in the work of the Lord, because all that is not in vain. And I want to encourage you all, friends. To be both steadfast and super abounding in quality and in quantity. Just lavishly share the love of Jesus. Lavishly share that love and and, uh, grace to one another. That's not in vain. That's what God says. And when I think of something that is steadfast, unmovable, and that is something that the church is begging for in this day and age is men and women that are steadfast and I just give you this glimpse before I share the scripture that comes to my mind when I think of that being of, of a person being steadfast and I'll just share a warning there's so many times friends that as we get older and we have uh, children and then uh, children become youth and uh, and such like that there's too many times that we lose our steadfastness as parents or as fathers. Once the youth come into our house and the youth start to influence our steadfastness because we want to be buddies or friends with our children. And being buddies and friends to our children will unsettle us. And will cause us not to be steadfast. And so my friends, 
I want us all to be encouraged. The Bible says it is not vain to be steadfast, unmovable. Sounds stubborn, doesn't it? I've been accused of that. That was actually an affirming statement. At least they know where I am. And that's the illustration that comes to my mind when I think of being steadfast. The prodigal son, you know, he went and spent all he had. He went out into the world and he just lavishly expended everything that he had. And he was, so he was there in the pig pen and he was looking towards where? Where was he looking towards? The prodigal son when he came to his senses. Where was he looking towards? He was working to, he was looking towards what? Home. I'm going to ask you a question, men, primarily, and ladies, fathers. What did the prodigal son expect to find when he started his journey home? What was he expecting to find? Do you know? What did he find? The father. Can you imagine, friends, if that if that boy would have came to his senses and he would have came, he would have been heading towards home, and he would have got home, and the father would have left and went part ways towards where he was. Do you know how big a disappointment that would have been for that son when he would have come home and the father wouldn't have been there anymore? Because he likewise would have pursued the same things that he pursued? A huge disappointment. That father would have demonstrated not have been steadfast. He would not have been found back home. And so likewise for us as fathers, when that prodigal son came home, he found his dad his father being steadfast and precisely where he was when he left. And I beg us as fathers tonight to be faithful in our calling towards God and in the things of God and be steadfast and unmovable. That way when the waves and, and, the, and, the, and the ocean starts beating upon us, and our children know exactly where to find us. That is so so important. Steadfast. Unmovable. <clears throat> because that prodigal son came home and found the father there. And so, let us not be of the persuasion that we can become like somebody to win them. Let's be steadfast. Let's be absolutely steadfast in the things of God. Let's not compromise. I titled the message... Commit it onto consummation. Committed onto consummation. Because movable Christians are dangerous. Casual Christianity, my friends, is not authentic at all. Casual Christianity will lead us to defeat. Yes, it will. Authentic Christianity is steadfast and unmovable. 
<clears throat> casual Christianity just kind of goes to wherever we want. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. <clears throat> and I want to point a few things out. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, some of this will be uh, your homework again at your own leisure. Verse 1 it says, And when, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, And then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then from there on down, from verse 3, all the way down to verse 17, and you can explore this in your own time. There's 31 things to be approved by. 31 things to be approved by. And you can read the entire chapter there, are those from verses 3 down to 16. And if you think that all those things are easy to accommodate, I want to say, friends, what it is telling us to be, to be approved by, is authentic. It is real Christianity. It is how life is expressed and such like. Then verse 17, it says, Wherefore, as a result of all this, what, what the teaching that he gave there, he says now in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Oftentimes we stop there. But it says, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughter. And what are the last four words? Let's say it together. Saith the Lord Almighty. This is heavenly language, my friends. It is saying, come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And listen to me, and listen to me good. And you will be his son and daughter as you fulfill the outcome of this here chapter. And then verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and then it says here, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Wow, what a high calling, my friends. But it's, but God says, these things are not in vain. You will be rewarded for it. And I want us to understand that. But it says, to not touch the unclean thing. Separation from the world means losing approval from some people. Losing approval from some colleagues. And yes, even the painful reality at times in certain certain uh, circumstances is losing the approval of family members. It's not an easy, easy thing what Jesus says here. In Luke 12, 51, he says, 
Do you suppose, and I'm going to put it in a paraphrase it a bit here, do you suppose that I came to just kind of unite everything and make one happy little family? Do you think that's the mission of Jesus? Oh, you know, just casually looking at each other and, and we're just going to be this happy little family. Is that the objective for Jesus? He says, suppose you that I come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay. Did you know that Jesus said that? That was not his objective. But rather, division. In Luke 12, 51, you read it for yourself. He did not come to generate this happy little party of all everything will do. And we can all casually come together and accept a diversity of things that are not godly. But rather, he's going to come and there's going to be a division. There's going to be distinction between right and wrong. Not a very popular subject for today. When we think of seeker-sensitive churches, seeker-sensitive ideology, and then we accommodate anything and everything... I tell you what, my friends, what some people are saying that is going to be in glory, I don't want to be there. But what God says is going to be in glory, I want to be there. My friends, mark it down. Every person slash church, every person or church that fails in separation will eventually be swallowed up in worldly matters and they will become worldly and it will become a worldly church. My friends, separation is a crucial thing. And these things that the Bible teaches us how to be separate is not vain things. Casual Christianity is faith in moderation. Did you know that? Casual Christianity is faith in moderation, allowing one to feel religious without having to prioritize one's faith. Casual Christianity is often apathetic, lack of emotion, impassionate, and indifferent. I want to say, my friends, quote, If many Christians went to work, went to their jobs each day as they go to church, millions of Christians would be fired. End of quote. Many Christians, if many Christians went to their jobs each day as they go to church, Millions of Christians would be fired promptly because of casual Christianity. Musing at these little things. Remember there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 31 things that it talks about. And there's many Christendom, or much in Christendom today that says, oh, that's just petty stuff. Those are not things that make a difference. Just little things. And they, and they weaken us in our persuasion because they challenge. They use the same tactic as Satan did with Eve. 
did God really say that? Oh, did he? Well, I better look. So instantly there's a bit of doubt comes to our mind. And there's many people that are duped into, into casual Christianity and they want no part of accountability. And so they weaken under the defeat of little things. I want to tell you, friends, little foxes spoil the vines. Just little things. I tell you, friends, just a little thing can destroy your faith in God. Just little things can cause you to be weaned from righteousness and holiness. Just a little bit of questionable music. Just a little bit. Just a song or two. Oh, I can buy this CD and all eight songs are really good, but there's one that, oh, it's not good. Just a little one. That's okay. <clears throat> we'll shrug at that. Go to the accountant. Just a little cheating in taxes. I'll just pay my employee a few hundred dollars cash under the table and not account for that. That's okay. <clears throat> little things, my friends, will win you from purity, holiness, and righteousness. Ah, when we sew the dresses, we'll just cut the neckline a little lower. Just a little. And you're trying to tell me that the, that the band and the covering needs to be an inch and a half wide? Why not a quarter of an inch? You can't tell me that God can see the difference between... Come on! A half an inch and you make that a test of membership? Hello! Little things are going to wean you from purity. You know what? In our, in our fertilizer plants, we have what I call shrink wrappers. And I wonder sometimes whether there's some ladies that sew their dresses like shrink wrap tight. Uh, you're telling me that I need to make the skirt of my dress an inch and a half wider every time I cut? Just a little thing. Inappropriate sites on the internet. Oh, that was just... Come on, that was just soft stuff. You know, what can I do? Small things. And when my Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. Precisely is what the Bible says. Touch not. Flee all appearances of evil. Just a little bit of movies. Just a little bit of Hollywood. Friends, Hollywood, Hollywood, we can't afford a little bit of demon-possessed information into our lives. Not a bit. And Hollywood is precisely, definitively, purposefully demonized. Now I want to say, friends, the ideology of Hollywood a little bit has influenced many, many conservative biblical churches. I'll ask you ladies and men alike, what defines beauty? Who defines beauty? 
Who and what defines the perfect man or the perfect structure of a woman? Who defines that? And I want to say, my friends, if you would only know, and I could talk a whole night on the very things of Hollywood and the research I've done on what that, the effects it has and how Satan, uh, many of the producers, uh, are willful and conscious Satan worshippers. And they seek the counsel of the powers of darkness to achieve precisely what they want to achieve. There's no secret to this. They're not even ashamed to tell you that. And yet they have established a pattern of idealism. And if you want to think that the church has too many guidelines, try to follow the guidelines of Hollywood and I will tell you it will make the church guideline look like a dream. The credentials for Hollywood is much more rigid than any church guidelines. Well, possibly Catholicism, maybe not. But I want to say Hollywood has much more restrained and extensive guidelines than any church. And yet we think that's liberty. And it's not. I want to say, friends, if you look at some of these models that they want to expose and, and instill into the minds of the people that that is the ideal individual, I want to tell you how many of those ladies are out the back behind the scene somewhere next to a toilet pushing their finger down their throat to get rid of the food that they ate. I want to tell you, friends, there are many, a very, very large percentage of the ideals come with an, a tremendous cost. Superficial idealism. And a bit of that is okay. Touch not the unclean thing is what the Bible says. Hollywood is not from God. Uniquely, interestingly, and I'm not sure that I have these dates properly, but up till the 40s or mid-50s, I'm not exactly sure, and I stand to be corrected, Hollywood was under the instruction and direction of about 9 to 15 church leaders that determined what can go onto motion picture. Yeah, it was under strict guidelines of the church of what is permitted and what is not permitted. And from that day on, once they did not want, have, want to have that, the degradation of that, of what was allowed on motion picture, it just plummeted. I mean, like a lead balloon. And by today, there's only a few objectives that they have and they're accomplishing it very well. My Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. If it is not of God, it's of the world. There's only two kingdoms. And don't forget that. And so, we can afford just a little bit of time with our buddies. Just hang out a bit more after marriage. Just hang out a, few, a little bit with our buddies. Just a little bit of physical touch outside of marriage is okay. My Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. A little leaven. Leaven at the whole thing. You all know what a fly looks like. It's pretty small, right? A little, let me use this terminology, a little stinking fly. Just a little one. 
You know what Ecclesiastes 10.1 says? A dead fly makes the perfume ointment give off a stench. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Ecclesiastes 10.1 A little fly will make something very beautiful stink. And so likewise, a little bit, just a little bit of ungodliness in our lives will bring about a real stench to our Christian life. And no wonder that the world looks at the church at times and says, Wow, you call that church? A little fly, a little bit, a little leaven has a huge impact. So a little will keep you from a lot. Multiple little things add up to a lot. Now let's go and get a lesson from Joshua. Joshua, we had touched on it the other evening. Joshua chapter 6 is the story of the children of Israel, or 5 and 6 I should say, the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River. And then... uh, You know the story of Jericho, how they uh, captured Jericho. And they accomplished that. That was a great accomplishment. And then when they had conquered Jericho, there was instruction given in verse 18 of Joshua uh, 6. It, It says again, And ye in any wise under no other circumstances. It is. It's, he's not being very uh, seeker sensitive here, is he? He's saying, and ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, unless you make yourself accursed when you take up the accursed thing. And you know what? It's going to have an impact on the entire assembly. Oh, so you're saying that a little bit within an assembly is going to affect the whole assembly? Correct. That is why it is so, so important for us to understand that. Now, so they captured Jericho. And let me, uh, as we read this, I want you to consider Jericho as being kind of like the Minneapolis type of city. Huge. It's big. And then there was another city that they were instructed to capture. And it was a little bit like Dodge City or Dodge Center, I should say. So you have Minneapolis. They conquered Minneapolis. Ooh, they were flexing their biceps. They were, they were amongst the elite. They really accomplished something big. And now in chapter 7, it says there in verse 2, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. So from Minneapolis to Dodge Center, Ai was about as big as the name. Very small. And uh, and it was on the east side of Bethel. And spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up to view Ai. They returned back to Joshua and said unto him, You know what? We brought about two million people across the Jordan River. But you know what? How about we just take maybe 
two to three thousand men. Two to three thousand men out of two million is a very small percentage. They says, ah, we conquered Jericho. We look at AI, walk in the park. We're just going to take a casual view on what God is calling us to do. And we're just going to bust in there with maybe... Oh, 0.0018% of our crew, and we're going to go in there, and we're going to conquer it. You know, they said, for they are but few. Just a little thing. So they went in there, in their casual, you know, way. And you know what? The doors from Dodge Center flew open. Out come these small, insignificant things. They conquered the Israelites, or the, yes, they conquered them, and they were high, and they turned them around. They hightailed out of there, and you know what? They, they killed, what, 32 of them. Wow. AI surprised us. It was this little insignificant thing, and we took a very casual approach towards conquering AI, and AI flexed their muscles. And defeated them. And they came scampering back and they gave, they gave Joshua this news. And look at it in verse 6. Joshua's response. <clears throat> he could have said, oh well, that's only 32 men that died out of what? Approximately 2 million people? That percentage is not actually too bad. But no. Their hearts were melted. A small casualty, if you will, was of significance to these people. And their hearts of the people melted and became as water. They did not look at this loss as being insignificant. Oh, well, if we just lose one or two members out of this large body, no big deal. Uh -uh. That's not how he felt about it at all. Joshua rented his clothes, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, and he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. This must have been significant. And look at what Joshua said in verse 7. <clears throat> Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan and delivered us into the hand of the Amorites and destroy us. Would to God, and underscore this, take note of what Joshua just got, uh, what he's saying here. Would to God we have been content and dwelled on the other side of Jordan. Shame on Joshua. You take a casual of you, you're going to get hurt. There's consequences to casual uh, Christianity. So likewise here, this casual view cost some casualties. Always will. A casual view of Christianity will always cause casualties. And he says, oh, that we would have just went on the other side of Jordan. Note. Joshua didn't say, oh, what to God, we went back to Egypt. He knew better than that. He didn't want to go all the way back to where he was before, but just on the other side of the river. Just on the other side of the river. Just that little distance would have put him 
outside of the will of God. You know? And then he was there, moping and desiring just to go on the other side of the river. It was commendable that he didn't want to go back, didn't want to go back to Egypt, but just on the other side of the river. And you know what, what, what uh, God said to him in verse 10? He says, The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus on your face? You know why you are, why you've been defeated? You know why there has been some casualties? He says, Get up. And he says, there's, there's sin in the camp. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. That's significant. And then he said, Lord goes on to say, therefore, because they took off the accursed thing, which so clearly back in verse 18 of chapter 6, they said that in no other circumstance, there is no way that you may take of that. They did. And therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemy. Mark it down, friends. A little bit of the accursed thing in your life will disempower you from being able to withstand the enemy. They couldn't even conquer Ai. They couldn't. Why? Because they had a little bit of the accursed thing amongst them. And therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before the enemy, but turned their backs before their enemy because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore until or except ye destroy the accursed thing among you. Then, he, then God says again, Up! Stop moping in the midst of your sin. Get up. Get off your face. Stop pitying yourself because of the consequences of the accursed thing. Get up and what and do what? Sanctify. Oh. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourself against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is the accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. And he reiterates it again. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. My friends, my friends, my friends, acknowledge that little things in your life can hinder the work and the grace of God to accomplish within you the desire of His will. You will disempower yourself by taking the accursed thing. And so, in the morning therefore, then there was instruction given. And he said, and I could spend the rest of the evening in here, how he definitively went through. And he said, in the morning according to your tribes, families, household, right down to men to man. He's going to go through and he's going to refine. You think sometimes the church has a little bit of an aggressive stand towards impurities? And they go through some measures to try to keep the church pure? Follow this through. So they took the whole tribe. They checked that out. 
They boil it down to the family, and then right down to the household, and right down man by man. A very thorough exploring of what is causing us to not have the power to even capture AI. Wow. Verse 15 it says, And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Oh, we could, uh, you know, the mindset of casual Christianity is, what I do is none of your business. I can just jolly well do within the church, and it's none of your other's business. False. Absolutely false. Hidden sin in an assembly, to some degree or another, is a way of dispowering or taking the power and the grace away from the entire assembly. It is. A broken covenant. So Joshua rose up, rose up early in the morning. And he went through that entire process. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, this was a brother in the assembly, if you will. He says, My son, in verse 19, Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done, and hide it not from me. Total transparency to the even the little things. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. What was thus and thus? What was the accursed thing? A coat and a few jingles. A coat, a Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold. A 50 shekel weight. And then I coveted them. And took them. And behold they are hid in the earth. In the midst of the tent. And the silver under it. Achan lost his life. And it was called the valley of Achor. I want to tell you, friends, a little thing. And I want to say again, little things will keep you from serving God in its fullest. Joshua gave us this vivid example of what casual Christianity will do. Casual Christianity will always bring casualties. And we can criticize uh, what God has put in place. But let's go back to the text. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you must understand, doing that is not vain. Authentic Christianity is transforming. It transforms us. Authentic Christianity transforms us. Turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1, it says again, He please, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yes, it is your reasonable responsibility. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Authentic Christianity is transforming. Casual Christianity would look at these passages of Scripture and say, ah, what does that all mean? And they're looking for ways of loopholes. And then backsliding is the opposite of authenticity. Backsliding causes us to move little by little by little. Remember, it's not back plunging. It's back sliding. It doesn't all happen in one day. Backsliding, I look at it this way. A vivid example of our, uh, our, our fertilizer plant is out in the, on a farm and we're surrounded with farming land. <clears throat> and the sprayer, when he went around the perimeter of the property, he stayed in about maybe in some places two to three feet and he didn't spray to control those weeds. And on the perimeters of that their property, there was weeds, yea high. Oh, what the world, it was only six inches or 12 inches out of a 90 foot boom? Come on, that's not bad, is it? I was embarrassed all season long. It was so bad, they had to come in with a more and trim it. So backsliding is like a growing fence row every year just a little bit more every year a little less crop every year a little less productivity and more weeds and more brush and these little saplings will become trees and all of a sudden you look at the fence row and you say whoa I could gain acres And guess what you have to do? Tedious work. Pulling all those things out by the roots to gain the ground you lost. Backsliding is so subtle. Little by little. And remember, it's not back plunging. It is backsliding. Little by little. A little goes a long ways. Authentic Christianity is obedience. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. No, God is not slack. He is like that Father that when you go to seek Him, He's at home. He is where He always has been. He has been steadfast. He has been faithful. And He's unmovable. That is where our Heavenly Father is and always will be. And he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I want to say this, friends, authentic Christianity is obedience to the word of God. Mark this down. Quote, Obedience is not Pharisaic. 
Obedience is not Pharisaic. Oh, we as, uh, or I, uh, for myself personally, I have been accused of being, being Pharisaic. So you're saying, I have to do this and do that. I'll tell you how far it can go. Soon after I became a Christian, I was working with a man that was a very, very strong Calvinist. And I, you know what? Bless his heart. He helped me in my Christian journey and was a huge encouragement to me in my early Christian walk. I have to bless him with that. He's not alive anymore, but I just want to say he was an amazing man. He was a huge encouragement to me. But this is one thing. One of my first studies that I did was a two-letter word in the New Testament, and that is if. And one of the reasons was because this man was so strong, Calvinist, and this is what he told me one morning. He says, you know, this morning I was having my personal devotions. And uh, I was reading, and I forget what passage it was, but the passage of scripture was giving him counsel and direction of what to do. And so he got up from his devotional, he closed his Bible, and he was going to get up and go and do. All of a sudden he says, what the world? That would be works. And so he decided, no, salvation is not by works. So he decided not to do it because he didn't want to be counted as a person with works. He didn't want to be with one of the Pharisees as doing to be accepted by God. My friends, I want to say again, obedience is not Pharisaic. Obedience is the expression of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And living out in obedience is the will of God. That's authentic. It really is. Authentic Christianity is repentance. We repent for the little things and the big things alike. What is repentance? Repentance means turning my back on something and going the other way. Simply, that is what repentance is. Letting go. Turning your back. And I want to say repentance so many times is so difficult to do. And there's people that do this. So we're just going to make this a sin object, whatever it is in your life. And you know that you should be separating yourself from that. And you should repent from it. And you know there's people, there's Christians that spend a lot of time praying over aspects of things that should be let go. So they're praying, oh God, give me grace to let go of this thing. Let me help me, oh Lord. And you know, they even raise their hands and pray to God. Oh, I want to repent of this here. If you want to repent, I'm not saying stop praying. But simply let go. Let go. Yes, I can't emphasize that enough. Let go and turn your back on it and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Stop praying over the thing that you should be letting go. Don't hover over it. Let it go. Repent. That is authenticity. That is authentic. Little things, big things alike. Because I want to say, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, in closing, back in the text, 
1 Corinthians 15. We briefly want to look at therefore. Leading up to therefore, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing in summary, it is basically saying they have had a, had a, had a challenge or they had a, uh, yes, they had a challenge in the church of Corinth to believe, uh, in the resurrection of the body. <clears throat> Remember how it says in verse 58, therefore my beloved. So that brings curiosity to me and it says, why did he say therefore? Because in verse 50, um, yeah, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. This was a long discourse uh, that, that Paul had given here about the resurrection of the body. And then he says, Behold, I show you a, a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on in incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. My friends... So the focus was here. Yes, there is going to be a change. And there's two things that I want for you to understand. The body that you are in today will not make it to glory. So stop spending millions of dollars, America, on cosmetics. Just a side note. I want to say, friends, this body will not make it to glory. It's going to go back to the dust. But then there's going to be a day on the last trump that we will be resurrected. Not all of us here tonight, I don't know, but there's a very big likelihood not all of us here tonight are going to die. Christ could and possibly will return before you and I face death. But I want to say, my friends, on that last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, totally changed, a new body. Incorruptible. 
and we shall be changed. And there, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. My friends, and then it says this mortality must put on immortality. No more dying. Eternity. No more dying. You're going to have the new body forever and ever. And he points all to that. And I like how he concludes and then he encourages us that this is not all in vain because there is going to be a day. Revelation chapter 11 talks about if you want to take your Bibles there Revelation chapter 11 talks about that trump the trumpet sounding there was seven trumpets Revelation chapter 11 verse 14 he said the second woe is past and behold the third woe cometh and then he says the seventh angel sounded And that is the seventh of the seven trumpets that were sounded. And there he goes on to say, consummation was announced in the first uh, two verses, 14 and 15. Consummation was explained from 16 down to verse uh, 18. And then consummation illustrated in verse 19. A tremendous, beautiful picture, my friends. When that final trumpet will sound... There is going to be things that are going to change. It says there, the seventh angel sounded and there was great voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And I could spend all night on this here chapter, but my friends, it is that consummation when the bride of Christ is going to be consummated and be with the Lord forever and ever and he will reign forever and ever. In verse 17 it says, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come. Meaning that he is the God of the past, God of the present, and God of the future. He is eternal, my friends. Yes, he is. He is almighty. This is what we're looking forward to. But till that day, let us understand that it is not vain to work our, our, our work our, our, out our own salvation in fear and trembling, in obedience to the will and the way of God. That is not vain. Because we're looking to this day. And it says, all the nations were angry in verse 18. Yes, the, the, the ungodly will not be pleased on that day. They will not. And then verse 19 it says, The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the Ark of the Testament, and there was lightning and voices and thundering, and an earthquake and great hail. Tremendous, my friends. The analogies that are given in this here here chapter. Oh, your brethren and sisters, when the trump will sound. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13, it says, But I would not have you be ignorant. Pay attention, friends. This is authentic. It is real. It is true. Your mortal body will take on immortality. You are going to be. And uh, it doesn't matter what your uh, uh, eschatological persuasion is, my friends, but the church will be raptured. It says this right here. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Yes, all the people in the graves, all the way back from Moses, Noah, Abraham, all those, oh, there's going to be a great earthquake. All these people are going to be risen. All those that have died in Christ Jesus will be risen. For this, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is not only Paul's perspective. These are the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and shout with the voice of the archangel. And look at here it is. With the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then he which are or sorry then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words are these words comfort to you as a saint are you is this a comfort to you as you sit here tonight to understand that even the grave will not keep you segregated from Almighty God. They will open, and the body and the spirit will be united, and we will be forever before the Lord. That's called the great consummation, announced, explained, and illustrated. When history of this world has been closed, done, the anthem will continue. Yes, the saints of God will be forever around the throne, singing and bringing praise unto God. The Lord God omnipotent will reign forever and ever. And it says, but thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how important it is, the text there, to realize that is not in vain? Go with me to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. To the message of all, to all the seven churches. <clears throat> the conclusion of the message to all the churches. Look at verse 7 of Revelation chapter 2. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of paradise of God. Take note of what that word says. The word cometh it start, it's, it ends with E-T-H. What that means is ongoing. It doesn't say him that overcame. It says him that overcometh. Significant. So I want you to follow through with me here. And I would like for us to read this together. Everywhere where it says him that overcometh, we're going to read to the, the conclusion of that statement. So verse 7. To the church of Ephesus, he said, let's read it together. 
To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. Down to verse 11, to the church of Smyrna. He that overcometh, let's read together. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Wow. Now let's go down to verse 17 to the church of Pergamos. He says in verse 17, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that received it. There's a whole message in that verse right there. Now let's go to verse uh, to uh, Thyatira, verse 26. And it says there in verse 26, He that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And then he goes on to say, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron and such like. Now let's go to the church of Sardis, chapter 3, verse 5. And he says there again, Let's read it together. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then he just kind of says, pay attention. You that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then to the church of Philadelphia in verse 12. Let's read it together. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall be no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Wow. Now to the church of Laodicea, the church of virtual reality. It says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. Now let's read it together. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down in my father in his house. Friends, him that overcometh. Cometh. The reward is immense. The reward is indescribable. You try to describe all the rewards of the overcomer and you will have a full-time job. It is exciting. Heaven is not going to be boring. Heaven is going to be bliss. Bliss for those that have overcome. He that overcometh. Now in closing, in Revelation 22. Revelation 22. He's going to come quickly. Yes, he is. In verse 7 it says, "I, I Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the saying of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12 he says, And behold, I come quickly. And look at what he says. It is a fulfillment of what he said. It is not vain. It is not vain, brethren and sisters, small and big alike, to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling by the grace of God. It says, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give 
every man according to his according as his works shall be. Then he says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Limitless, shoreless, no perimeters. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify you these things in the churches. Exclusively to the churches. I am the rude and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Verse 17. Let's say this together. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take the water of the life freely. Friends. It says in verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith. Surely I come quickly. Amen. And can we say it from the bottom of my heart? Can you say it from the bottom of your heart? If it is tonight, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Is it well with your soul? Or are there little things that are still hindering you and I from living that victorious life. Are we overcoming? He that overcometh. By the grace of God. By the power of God. And his alone. Is it well with our soul? Can we say. Yes if it is tonight. So come. Lord Jesus.